Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I trust you are in a week where you are doing work that you love. We talk about that in the opening Yes, I still believe it's possible that you can find or create work that you love. This is Dan Miller. We're going to spend the next little bit of time looking at questions that you, the listeners, have submitted. Real life questions. These are not things made up, come out of some book somewhere, or that I dreamed up sitting in a corner. These are real life questions that you can identify with. And by going through those, we're going to all figure out ways that we can do this thing called work more effectively with more purpose and ultimately more dollars as well. I make no apologies for that. Some of the questions today deal with that. Gee, is it always just about making money? No, it's not. But you know, when you're doing something that you love, money just seems to show up in unexpected ways. We're going to talk about some of that. Here's some of the other questions we'll be talking about. Now this again, I get, I get thrown these hot potatoes every so often. It seems Dan, I've been reading books you recommended and I feel like I'm falling away from my religious beliefs. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Dan, I've been working on an exit plan for my retail job for a year now. Dan, I'm 42 years old and I hate my career. I feel like a schizophrenic person being pulled apart inside. Somebody asked when I create music, it's often an emotional roller coaster. Is my approach normal or should I find work that's easier? (laughs) Okay. Should work always just be easy? Or should we embrace the creative process? Well, personally, I, I love the creative process. So we'll talk about that. When you create music, yeah, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. If it was just eight or one plus one equals two, any moron could do it. Well, how about this? Dan, I love the benefits that come from working at home, but I find it very difficult to stay on task and work throughout the day. Well, you're listening to Dan Meller on the 48 days online radio show. If you've got a question you'd like to have addressed on here, you can go to the podcast link 48 days.com. Just post your question there, or you can shoot a question directly to me at ask Dan at 48 days. Well, if I got a quotation for today, it would be this be the change you want to see in the world. Now, there's a couple of questions where I want to insert that. If we get to them today, be the change you want to see in the world. You may recognize that as Gandhi, but sometimes when we're trying to push, pull, or coerce people around us to make changes we want to see in them, the best way sometimes is just to be the change, model the change that you want to see in them, and they'll be watching well, Patty from New York says, Dan, I faithfully listen to your podcast each week, find them very inspiring. As I was listening today, you mentioned once again, that if you were an entrepreneur and making only $30,000 a year, you might as well just get a job. And that if you're going to do something out of the box, do something big. I think that you're selling your message short by making this statement. I've been a stay at home mom. Most of my adult life, I began an online business in my spare time 10 years ago. As my kids have grown, my business has grown. One son works for me now. We have a good little family business growing. I don't have to work more than 15 or 20 hours a week to put into it. And I make about $30,000 a year. Now that has me making about $28 an hour and the freedom to do when, what I want, when I want 
where I want. When I worked for an employer in town for a few weeks, I made $10 an hour, which grossed me about $10,000 a year for the same amount of time. Let me tell you, I'm thrilled to be making $30 a year working part-time doing something I love and having only myself to answer to for three times the pay, no less. I really feel that your message is for the masses, not just for those who aspire to be millionaires. Don't limit your audience. Patty, I appreciate your input. And I mean, you are on track. I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, think about what you've just laid out here. When I talk about moving outside of the normal job, no one wants to just trade what you were doing normally there and then be putting in all the extra work that comes from working on your own, you know, just to be then making the $10 an hour, $12 an hour, whatever. I mean, you've tripled that. Golly, I commend you on what you've done and what you're doing, working 15, 20 hours a week and making your $30,000. I think that's awesome. Now, I don't mean that you need to take that and then somehow be unsatisfied with it unless you're going to make a million dollars. No, but I do think, you know, a lot of people move out of, being an employee and discover a year later that all they did was just create a job for themselves. They're still only making $10, $12 an hour. And to me, I don't think that's a good move. I mean, don't complicate it. Just keep working for somebody else if that's what you're going to do. So I like big ideas. I like big dreams. But if in doing that, you triple the pay that you were making, that's a significant move. I mean, that's a monumental move up in terms of what I consider success. So I certainly don't mean to belittle that at all. I commend you on what you're doing and I hope that a lot of other people are inspired by what you're saying that you've done as a stay-at-home mom. Well, Benjamin threw me one of these hot potatoes that I seem inevitably to, to get frequently. Dan, I've been reading books you recommend, The Magic of Thinking Big, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Those books are really changing my thinking spiritually and I feel like I'm falling away from my religious beliefs. I feel like more life-changing convictions. I, I feel more life-changing conviction from these two books than I do the Bible right now. I heard you mention that before that this type of thinking took you away and then brought you back to God. How did it strengthen your beliefs and lead you back to God? What type of church did it lead you to? I hope you'll find time for these questions. I greatly respect your counsel and advice. Well, thanks, Benjamin, for your question. The issue, and, and I get this constantly, I mean, there are all the time discussions going on, even in my own social networking site, 48days.net, uh, where we welcome your comments there and you can post anything you want and you'll, you'll find that I don't try to sanitize that. Even on our advisory board, sometimes I have people saying, well, do you hear somebody saying, Dan, you've got your head in the sand. You don't understand the reality of day. You know, don't, don't we want to eliminate those comments? And I'm saying, no. No, I mean, I don't mind people expressing their opinion. I don't want everybody to just be clones of me. Here's where this goes theologically very quickly. People think that I'm too heavily weighted toward self-help. Now, what that means is on the other end of the continuum is I'm just going to sit here and fold my hands and sit on a stump and wait for God to do something in my life. Well, you can make a case for that theologically, and we don't have time to unpack it totally. But yeah, I, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of doing something. I, I find there's a whole lot of people who are excuse long periods of inactivity or indecision as waiting on God. Now, I, you know, as a coach, I cringe with that. I want to tell them they aren't going to get any points on the board if they aren't even in the game. And a lot of times it's a, it's a way to 
kind of politically correctly shift responsibility and blame on God. Well, of course the economy's bad. Of course I can't get a job. Of course my business failed. It must just be all part of God's plan for me. Well, we know God is all powerful, but what does that mean in regards to what is expected of me? Can I literally expect God to pay my rent, find a job for me, or deal with the bank's demands? I mean, at some point we become God's hands and feet. Without us, his work does not get done. And his work is not just preaching, praying, or proselytizing. It's mowing yards, making violins, building houses, delivering pizza, teaching school kids, and doing those things with excellence. Evangelist Hudson Taylor once said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up asking him to do his work through me. You get in the game. I mean, I have a quote that I actually use right now as part of my email signature where it says indecision and the unwillingness to take action are often described as patience or waiting on God. So a lot of people are waiting on God when I think it's just indecision and unwillingness to get in the game. That's where a lot of the books that I recommend will take you. They place the responsibility squarely on your, my shoulders. We need to take responsibility for what's going on in our lives and take action. If we aren't getting the results that we want, that's where people think, well, it's drawing me away from my religious beliefs. Well, if your religious beliefs were such that you think you can just go sit in a corner somewhere and God's going to make your life perfect by a bolt of lightning Yeah, I I don't, I think you need to change your religious beliefs. So I don't want your reading to take you away from a deep faith, but I don't think having a deep faith means that we give up personal responsibility and take an artificial position in terms of what we expect God to do. So in as much as the books I recommend firmly require that you design a plan of action, You decide what your timetable is. You get in the game and do it. If that is taking you away from some kind of a um, a novice religious belief, then I think you're becoming more healthy in the process. And that's why I say, you know, ultimately, I think study brings us back to God. There are too many things that we can't explain, too many things that we just have to stand back and marvel at. I love that. I love the mystery of things that can't be explained. I love just enjoying things that I have no desire to even try to understand. But, uh, so I have a lot of faith, but again, I know that, uh, where the responsibility is for producing the results that I want in my life. And again, I know that, you know, I know that that's not comfortable for a lot of you. And again, that's okay. I'm not going to criticize you, but, uh, that's not the, what I have to ultimately look at is do I want to live your life or mine? I mean, I hope that doesn't just sound crass, but ultimately it comes down to that. And I like some of the things that I've been able to accomplish in my life by taking action, being very specific, working hard and getting results that I want to show up. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Rand, well, not much. I got a couple more here that kind of in the same category. Randy says, Dan, I enjoy your podcast. How do you feel about Zig Ziglar's audio sets? See you at the top success in the self image and goals, how to set them, how to get them. I must say that I realized through see you at the top and success and the self image was that after a checkup from the neck up, I had a case of stinking thinking and I had a debilitating life threatening case of hardening of the attitudes. This led to an attitude attack. Those are phrases that Zig Ziglar uses 
repeatedly, stinking thinking, need a checkup from the neck up, hardening to the attitudes and so on. Um, I realized that some of the frustration I had at work was a result of bad attitudes and feel so appreciative that the Lord has led me to those audio sets. I feel they've changed my life. However, they were done in the mid and late eighties. Are they appropriate for today's work environment? The work environment has changed since 1988. What do you think? Man, I think you ought to absorb those Zig Ziglar tapes, those old see you at the top. Listen to his stories about the pump. Listen to his stories about uh, training fleas. Listen to his stories about getting cooked in the squat. Those are success principles that are timeless. I don't care if they were done in 1915 or 1985. They are appropriate for 2011, 2012. They really are. Those are things that are not time dated at all. Those principles will work well for you. You've heard me talk a lot recently about Dale Carnegie book, how to win friends and influence people written in 1935. Those principles are powerful. They can transform somebody's success today. If you implement those simple principles for getting along well with people and knowing how to create great relationships. So no, I think those are very appropriate for today as are most success books. They're not just attuned to the chain. I mean, if you're going to get something that has to do with how to market on the internet, yeah, that's going to change in the last 10 years. And it'll certainly change two years from now, but that's a very specific kind of application. If you want to really understand the core foundational principles for success, those are non-changing. Well, David says, you've mentioned several times on your podcast, the importance of having a view of life based on abundance rather than scarcity. I've looked over your reading list, but didn't see anything that covers this topic. Can you recommend a book or other resource that develops this idea in greater detail? Thanks for all you do, David. Anything that I recommend is going to be based on the principle of abundance rather than scarcity. So if you take an old Zig Ziglar book, See You at the Top, which I highly recommend, incidentally, you will see that it's based on a principle of abundance. Now, one that really deals with that a lot would be Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, another one of the ones that I recommend. So those are based on the, the theory that we have unlimited opportunities right in front of us. And meaning also the scarcity principle means that we see life as a pie so that if I take a slice, it leaves less for you or vice versa. You take a big slice, it leaves less for me. That's a principle of scarcity. That's thinking that if somebody else is a coach as I am, that if I tell them anything that has worked for me successfully, I'm going to help them be more successful, which is going to reduce my own opportunities for success. That's nuts. That's crazy. That's not how the world operates. I mean, money doesn't operate like that. There is not a fixed amount of money out there. Money is created. So if I help you create more, chances are really strong that it's going to, in the process, help me end up with more as well. So that's the principle of abundance. And yes, anything that I write. And if you want to get my list of recommended books, incidentally, just shoot an email to reading at 48days.com reading at 48days.com. It'll take you right to the page. And I have a whole bunch of books there and why I recommend those. All right. This one comes from, well, he says I can call him Bert. <laughs> Doesn't want me to use his real name. 
And what he describes is a lengthy layout. He's been working in a retail job for quite some time now and likes the environment, likes the guy that he's working with. The guy that he's working with is really entrepreneurial and knows that Bert is pretty creative and has some itchy feet to get out and do some other things. Uh, Bert has created on the side a little business that is growing nicely. He can buy some products at about three bucks a piece and sell them for 50 or $60 a piece like on eBay and other things on the internet. That's a great markup margin. And certainly if you can do that and if, if it's not limited, then it's just a matter of scaling that. If you can do that and you're making $500 a week doing that, but you have an unlimited supply and an unlimited market for selling those, then if you take that up to four times that and you're making $2,000 a week, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? But here's the deal. Bird is struggling with, should he be responsible and keep this a retail job? Or should he go off on his own cockamamie idea and be some loose, unconnected, wild and crazy entrepreneur. Now I added a few adjectives in there, but here is a question that I'm going to pull out one statement. I'm going to pull out of Bert's question that he wrote his lengthy email here. It seems that the smart and rational thing to do would be to accept the management position in a retail operation in order to definitely be able to pay my house payment for the new house. Well, let's just springboard on that for a second. If you don't have the confidence, if you don't even have the belief that your own business is going to generate more money than you could possibly make in a retail management job, and that you may not be able to make the payment on the house, then by all means, go ahead and take the retail job. Stop kidding yourself and stop fooling around with this little side business. That's not the way that we develop businesses that get us up in the morning and keep us excited keep us exhilarated through the day. It's because we have the belief that it's going to, you know, pay for your house and 10 other houses. Now, whether or not it ends up there is another thing, but if you have some kind of a track record and you can do a projection that shows that it's going to do that, don't think that you would, I mean, if you don't really have the belief that your business is going to succeed, it isn't. I mean, that's one of those things. Our expectations tend to become true because we, we make them true what we see in our mind, what we imagine, what we believe, what we expect tends to become very much what our reality is. So if you don't think you're going to be successful, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to just surprise you and be successful when you really didn't think it was going to work. That's not going to happen. But if you really get clear on the fact that this does work, this is scalable, you can ramp this up and you're going to make four times the money you could ever possibly make in a retail management position, then it's not just some wild idea. It's not irresponsible to go off and do that on your own. We got to get rid of this idea that going off on your own is somehow risky and just wild and crazy and irresponsible, unpredictable and all those things. No, people, I mean, it's easy to show the research, people who end up as decamillionaires, people worth at least $10 million or more view that whole scenario in quite the opposite way as the average guy in the street. They think that doing something on your own where you've identified what it is you do well, you have a plan of action, how you're going to do that. You have the projections. They think doing that is very low risk. They think going to work, showing up every morning where somebody else is going to write your paycheck on Friday, even if it's using skill sets that you know that you have, that you've defined and, and developed well, they see that as extremely 
risky. It's totally opposite. Security is not in going to a job every day. Security is in knowing what you do well and doing that with a clearly thought out plan. Going to work every day where one person has the capability of putting you on the street this afternoon is in fact very risky. Well, Jesse says, Dan, some people are forced to a career they didn't choose by their parents. With me, it's self-imposed. I made the decision very early on to be an architect. I'm 42 years old now, and I hate my career. I feel like a schizophrenic person being pulled apart inside. I've always loved finding, listening, and playing music. I've turned this obsession into a blog video cast based on thebeat.com using Gary Vinachick's ideas and crush it to develop my brand. I get up early every day to devote time to this passion. However, I'm filled with self-doubt. I can't stop questioning my own decision-making process. Do I really know thyself? How can I replace my professional salary with being a DJ? Music must be part of the next chapter of my life, but how? I so want to love what I do and make money. Jesse, you can do both. It's not a compromise. It's not a trade-off. Yes, you can do what you love and make money. Now, remember, there are three legs to this stool. Number one, what are you passionate about? Number two, what can you do with excellence? Number three, what is your economic model? You've got to have all three of those. You can't just know what you're passionate about and even know what you do well. You love being in the music community and kind of schmoozing and carrying on and just having a good time with other people who enjoy music. That's fine. But what's your economic model? If you're building a blog video cast, what's your economic model? How's that going to generate income? If you can work through a business plan with that and see how you're going to create income. Absolutely. There's no reason you can't be a DJ and do other things involving music and create significant stupendous income in doing so. If you have a plan. All right. Chris says, Dan, you often suggest to be in your zone at your work. However, I feel that I found work I was made for but I'm not in the zone a lot of the time. Now listen to this. Chris is a creative guy. I know the work that he does. He creates jingles and lead ins for other people, creates branding music has done some really cool work, but he says, Chris says my work is in the creative realm, music production. When I create music, it's often an emotional roller coaster. I think, how is this next piece going to live up to my standards? Starting a piece for a client, I tend to research, procrastinate. Then the first writing session is often uncreative, unproductive. The third or second or third session, I'll rock out tons of ideas. Then I'll dislike it and go back and revise, hoping to God that in the end it turns out well. It often does turn out well, but is my approach normal or should I find work that's easier? Man, I love your question, Chris. Again, you are a creative guy. Let's think about this. I mean, your description of your work sounds very much on track for any creative process. If you're putting cars together, you're standing on an assembly line. There's one right way to do that. But creating music doesn't fit that model at all. Writing a book does not. I mean, creating software or a new app does not. Painting a piece of art does not fit that process. Landscaping a house does not. Building a, a sculpture does not. I mean, if we make doing good work a linear process, then we eliminate any creative component to that. I mean, just go to work in a factory, get a job as an accountant, drive a truck, or be a dentist. 
I mean, if you want work that takes all this emotional roller coaster out of it, but anything that is artistic and creative, and we know that's where the best opportunities are. That's where the best rewards are today. Embrace the creative process. Don't try to remove that artistic element. Now, I mean, this, this goes pretty deep. Our academic system was created to train safe factory workers. Children were getting hurt in the factories. And so schools were developed to train them to be safer. So our schools were set up to teach children how to be safe in the factory work that they would ultimately be doing. Gee, how encouraging is that? Isn't that exciting? I mean, schools were not designed to help kids learn to create and innovate. But if we want work that is just a linear one plus one equals two kind of process to get the right answer, you are not going to then embrace the creative side of yourself, the artistic, the musical side of yourself that I know is so much a part of who you are. Just welcome this emotional roller coaster. It's part and parcel of doing things that matter. Well, here's a question from a young listener. JJ says, Dan, well, he actually says, Mr. Miller. Hi, Mr. Miller. It's funny how younger people are often more respectful but uh, JJ says, I'm a 16 year old homeschooler and I have a dream of becoming a film director. I've always been fascinated with how movies are made and I love picking apart movies I've seen and talking about how they could have been better. I'm very creative and enjoy writing. Unfortunately, the movie industry is very hard to get started in and be recognized. The successful directors I've researched had to put in many, many hours of poverty and making little no-name movies that nobody ever heard of before they could be successful and have their movies heard about. Do you have any suggestions or ideas for how I can either do things differently and jump ahead in the game or perhaps use my passion and creativity in a slightly different field? Thanks for all you do. I love listening to your podcast. Well, thanks so much, JJ. Again, we got a 16-year-old homeschooler asking the question. The movie industry is hard to get into, hard to get recognized there. Yeah, it is. I, I, I checked just a little bit ago here. At age 12, Steven Spielberg got his first movie camera and spent hours writing scripts, drawing storyboards, making movies of subjects such as head-on miniature train crashes and an exploding pressure cooker full of cherries jubilee. 12 years old, Steven Spielberg. Throughout his teens, he made amateur 8mm adventure films with his friends, the first of which he shot at the Pinnacle Peak Patio Restaurant in Scottsdale. He charged 25 cents admission to his home films, which usually involved the Rexy stage with his Lionel train set, and while his sister sold popcorn. Now, we know what happened. I mean, Steven Spielberg was rejected admission at different, um, at different schools, film schools that he applied to. He applied twice to the University of Southern California School of Theater, Film, and Television, but was unsuccessful at getting admission. Then he started showing up as an unpaid intern, just kind of a guest on Universal Studios. And I mean, he started hanging out there for a long period of time, and they started noticing his work. But, you know, J.J., it's, it's never been easier to get noticed in doing things on your own never been easier. I spoke recently at a conference for music, Christian music songwriters, and they were for the most part 
extremely pessimistic and um, down in the mouth, complaining about how music and churches have changed, the opportunities have changed. We don't have these big kumbaya conferences anymore, blah, 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 and you can't get in the music industry. And I said, you know, nobody's going to invite you to these big conferences, blah, blah. And I pulled out of my phone, I mean, out of my pocket, my iPhone. I said, do any of you have one of these? This just removed all the barriers that you guys are describing. You don't have to have somebody invite you to big conference. You don't have to get the attention of a big publisher. All you've got to do is just start doing something that people will pay attention to. Hey, check this out. You ever heard of this dude? Who is this little mop headed teeny bopper? that showed up and is just blown to the top and what he's doing. Did he wait for a producer to come around? Did he wring his hand? Did he uh, apply to different schools? Well, geez, he's not even old enough to go to most schools that we would talk about in preparing him for his music career. No, he just did it. Justin Bieber, YouTube, boom, he's on the map. Got screaming fans everywhere. I mean, it's never been easier to get involved. All you need to do is start doing something that gets the attention of people. What is it that you can do that people are going to start sharing with their friends? There are no obstacles to that. Now, the other thing though, that you talk about is that, you know, I love the kind of stuff that's being, that's being done, that's being done differently. I mean, when we look at uh, most people who put their music out there, I mean, obviously they want a publishing deal. They want to get paid well for their music. And then we have somebody come along. You may not recognize the music here. It's from the album In Rainbows, Radiohead. They said, you know what? We're just going to put this out here. You pay us whatever you want for that. Gee, how novel is that? Can you do something differently and be successful? Yeah. Uh, They were kind of successful in doing that. I mean, we got the Grateful Dead. I mean, you go to most concerts and they have all these warnings up and they will tell you, you know, you are absolutely forbidden to record this. If we catch you recording this or taking a picture, you're going to be thrown out, put in jail, incarcerated for the next 20 years. What is Grateful Dead? What have they done? They said, you want to record our music? We got a place up right up front here for you. Come up here where you're not going to have the audience noise. You can get really better quality recordings right up here. Please take this home and share it with all your friends. Well, they created a cult following around the world of millions of people by doing things differently. Yeah, you can do that. You can do a movie, put it up on YouTube this afternoon. Anyway, great question, JJ. I want to, I want to, you know, and and a question that affects a whole lot of people out there. You know, one, one of the other things though, let me just touch on this real quick before we move on. And that is also you, you were kind of asking, can I jump ahead of the game? Can I just bypass all those years of being at the bottom of really trying to get my name known of doing things that are just kind of no name movies and so on and just move ahead of the pack? Well, probably not. Now I already said, you know, you, you can get a quick start with some of the methods that we've got out there for spreading the word these days through social media. But we also see that people who ultimately end up really good in what they do put in a lot of time. In the book Outliers, Malcolm Glidewell talks about the 10,000 hour rule. So if you want to be the next Beatles, if you want to be the next Steven Spielberg, now how many hours do you think Steven Spielberg put in before he started producing names that are now household 
terms, things that everybody are familiar with. 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours. Do your own math on that. Don't back away from that. Don't think that you're just going to leapfrog over that. So when we hear about somebody like the Beatles coming up or even like the Justin Bieber, I mean, that wasn't the first thing he ever did when he put out on YouTube. He'd been doing it since he's a little tiny kid. He probably already put in his 10,000 hours, put in your time doing something and you will become excellent in doing it. And when you become that excellent, I mean, Steve Sart, Steve Martin says, be undeniably good. Be so good that people can't ignore you. That's a great rule of thumb. And that erases the barriers for how old you are. Be so good that people can't ignore you. Here's a question from Sean. Your book inspired me to follow my passion and become a freelance video editor, videographer. I love the benefits that come from working at home, but I find it very difficult most days to stay on track and work throughout the day. I feel like if I were more disciplined, I would have more time to pursue more clients, thus getting more work and more money. How do I stay focused and on task each day so that I don't feel like I'm wasting so much of my time? Are there any good books you would recommend for people who work from home that deal with these issues? Love your podcast. Thanks for all you do, Sean. Sean, one of the many benefits of working on your own is being able to create your own schedule. There's no one looking over your shoulder telling you what to do or when to do it. Um, one of the many drawbacks of working on your own is not having anyone telling you when a project needs to be done. So do the benefits of working on your own outweigh the drawbacks? Well, obviously I think so. There are tons of things we have the freedom and luxury of doing when you're working on your own. One of those being the luxury of creating your own schedule. What that implies though, is that you have to be the one to set your own schedule. You have to be the one to then at the end of the week, be able to look back and say, wow, I got this project done. I did this. I got this much more advancement over here so that you in fact, see that you did turn out a reasonable quantity of work. Now I work in focused, uninterrupted blocks of time. A few years ago, I did an audio recording. I don't know. I don't think we've still got it available, but it was called purpose, plan, and power. And it had to do with how I divided my time purpose being that is the actual working. So I may work on let, let's say that I work on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm just in the game. I'm working Thursday. I plan. That's the day to look back and kind of do the planning, do the marketing, the administrative things, kind of decide where I want to be three years from now. And then power. How do I get re-energized? How do I get rejuvenated? That can be from relaxing or taking my granddaughters to the zoo. I mean, a whole lot of things. And that's a legitimate part of being on your own as well. Purpose, plan, and power. Now, there are a whole lot of things out there. Well, let me tell you first how I, I work. I mean, I, I enjoy not having somebody looking over my shoulder, but I am my own harshest task master. I use just simply Outlook for my planning, but I have everything on there. I don't just have these big open blocks with nothing there because I don't have a meeting. No, I have in this period of time, I'm going to be working on this book project. In this period of time, I'm going to be writing blogs. In this period of time, I'm going to be reviewing questions for the, the podcast. I mean, those are legitimate things that I have on my schedule. A lot of times people think, well, the only thing I have on my schedule is 
that Thursday afternoon at three o'clock, I have a dentist appointment. No, put things on there that are meaningful things that you want to accomplish. So you keep your time focused and you work in those focused uninterrupted blocks of time. There are a lot of time management things out there, time management books that you can get. I've never really found any of them to be that, that helpful because I don't think it's really that complicated that's, I guess my real point is my real point is if you're doing work that you really truly love, you want to be engaged in doing that. You aren't attracted to just wandering off and doing other things. So the real question is, have you really identified work that you truly enjoy? Or are you just trying to force yourself to work on your own, to be an entrepreneur? I mean, I don't find a whole lot of merit in that. I mean, entrepreneurs work for themselves because they have something that they enjoy so much, you know, they're just drawn to it like a moth in the light. Now, there are things out there like the Pomodoro technique. Pomodoro technique. Now, you can look that up. It's P-O-M-O-D-O-R-O technique. What that does, and there's a cheat sheet. There are are tools there you can download for free, but I, I have the cheat sheet in front of me. And it talks about you work in 25 minute blocks of time. Somehow he chose that. I work in longer periods of time than that. I like to work in two to three hour time blocks. But this particular guy, he recommends you work in, force yourself to work in blocks of 25 minutes. Then give yourself a three to five minute break. But don't stop until you get finished with that 25 minutes. Again, I don't play a lot of games with myself like that. Well, I have to do this before I can go do that. I mean, I work in a very natural flow of work. You know, are there sometimes interruptions? Yeah. Now I control those just as just a few minutes ago, my cell phone was vibrating and that's okay. It can do that as many times as I want while I'm doing the podcast. I'm not going to even divert my eyes to see what that call is. This is a focused, uninterrupted block of activity. And I allow nothing to interrupt with that. That's what I encourage you to do. Have work that you really love, but then create your own schedule. However, that is meaningful to you, but create those focused uninterrupted blocks of time so that you get significant blocks of work done. And if at the end of the week, you realize you only work, you know, three hours a week, yeah, something's wrong in your whole model. You aren't drawn enough to it. You aren't being realistic about what it takes to make your own business successful. Kimberly from Toledo, Ohio says, I've been thinking and dreaming in my head about becoming a veterinarian, but I'm very discouraged with the schooling and cost that I will suffer while I go to school. There's no sure thing about getting into school either. Where do I start in this process? Many think it's impossible. Well, I I love your question. The way you've framed it here, but I think there's some things we can pull out very quickly, Kimberly. If I look at what you've said here, I'm very discouraged with the schooling and cost that I will suffer while I go to school. The schooling and cost you will suffer. Now let's take another example. If I want to build a dream house, I want to have a library and a study area. I want big bay windows with waterfalls outside, blossoming trees all around. Am I going to suffer through the process of getting there as I see that being built, as I write the checks for my dream coming to life? No, 
I'm immersed in imagining the joy and the beauty that's coming. I mean, if you think you'll be suffering while studying through all those courses required for being a veterinarian and seeing your money just going down the drain, uh, then I would question your fit for that profession. Now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we've got that 10,000 hours to be really good at anything. Be prepared to invest those hours in something or be ready to remain mediocre in everything. But if you have a goal that requires a lot of schooling, a lot of years of training and a lot of cost, then you ought to be totally convinced that the end result is worth all that. However, I'm also going to put in a, a caveat. What if you spent three years studying veterinarian courses? You know that you enjoy being around animals. And at that point, you had an opportunity to go work with the horse whisperer at his ranch out in Oregon. And you decided you're going to go there. You're going to manage his ranch. It's a dream come true. And you're going to go do that. You're going to be able to work with horses. You're going to be able to be outdoors an environment that you really enjoy. You're going to be able to be mentored by somebody whose work you really admire. Are those three years then that you invested in vet school a waste of time, energy, and money? No, absolutely not. They were an integral part of getting you where you wanted to go. So here's my formula for going to school to get advanced degrees. There are two reasons for that. One is so you get a piece of paper. So somebody will give you a job. The second reason for getting an advanced degree is for the learning that takes place. If you go for reason number one, you're likely to be disappointed. If you go for reason number two, you'll never be disappointed because you go for the learning that takes place. So if you, the, the question that I want to ask you is if you went through all the courses required for being admitted to vet school, you got into vet school and you went all the way through, but you never finished a degree. Will you be a better person even then than if you had not gone through that process? That's what I really want you to look at. If you go through all those, that study and it feeds a desire that you have, you become much more knowledgeable. It opens up a whole lot of new opportunities you otherwise would not have had. I mean, to me, you're a better person, even if you don't become a veterinarian. And I want you to look at that. I talked about this in a workshop presentation recently where I was describing having worked with somebody and where we mapped out, it would take him approximately five years to get to where he wanted to be. And the question I really asked him at that point was what if in five years you haven't made the success that you wanted to here that we're laying out, you have not accomplished the things that we've laid out. Will there be merit in going through the process of study and learning that you're talking about anyway? And he said, absolutely. I'll be a better person. Even if that end goal never comes into view, that's the way I want you to view going back to school with the things that you're showing here as negatives. I doubt that it has enough value and you're likely to be disappointed. But if you think that from day one, you will be a better person if you pursue the study of veterinarian, then I would encourage you to go ahead and do that. I mean, when we look at the definition of success, what is the definition of a success? Success is a progressive realization of worthwhile goals. And another adage I throw out a lot is 
Success is not a destination. It is a direction. So as soon as you focus your direction toward being a veterinarian, you are by definition successful. We aren't waiting for your success to occur until you have that particular piece of paper in your hand. No, you are a success immediately. So frame it in that way and see if you still have enough draw toward what you are laying out. Okay, let's grab a couple more. This is Dan Meller on 48 Days Online Radio. The title comes from a book I wrote a few years ago, 48 Days to the Work You Love. A lot of you are familiar with that. It's opened a lot of doors for me into other books and a whole host of other things. And it's been an exciting ride. But each week I take a few minutes to scan some of the questions that come in. We get hundreds every day, but scan a few of the questions that have come in and to unpack them here on the 48 Days Online radio show where we can hopefully pull out some principles that help you and me, no matter where we are on our own path toward success. Well, Chad from West, West Richland, West, or no, Washington says, I'm 35 years old, been in the grocery business all my life. I've been in store management, outside sales, but the hours are killing me. I have two daughters and a wife at home. I work 55 to 60 hours a week. I love your idea of piano tuning. That's one of the ideas in the 48 low-cost business ideas we've got. I grew up playing piano and love music. There are two schools I'm looking at. American Piano Institute, which looks like the cheaper, easier, less time-consuming route, or the Randy Potter School of Piano Technology, which looks to have 10 times the material and resources and may give me a real advantage over my competitors. Do I go with the cheaper school I can finish in 40 to 100 hours and just learn part of the business, or do I go for the one that will take me a year at 20 hours a week, but could potentially teach much more? Don't know if I can handle 20 hours a week for a year. Well, let me just cut through a whole lot of red tape here, Chad. Your success as a piano tuner is not going to be determined by whether or not you have 10 times more knowledge as the next guy down the block. Your success will be largely based on whether or not people like you. Now, I'm not going to minimize or diminish the value of good training at all. But realistically, I can tell you that. I mean, we've had pianos forever since we were first married. And the guy we have tuning the piano, we didn't ask him how much schooling he had, where he got his degree, what his depth of the technology, understanding and knowledge is. No, he's a nice guy. He's a neighbor guy. He's in the neighborhood. I know he does all the churches here locally. I have him do it. My understanding of whether it's good, bad, or medium I, I don't have even any measurement by which to decide. He tunes it. I trust that he's tuned it. We're good for another year. Having said that, I would encourage you in this industry, start quickly and never quit learning. So start quickly. Don't prolong the process of getting started. So you get in the game. You'll learn by doing it as a coach. You know, did I learn everything I needed to know? Did I spend you know, five hours learning how to coach before I started coaching. No, I jumped right in and I've spent 20 years learning how to be a better coach while I'm coaching students. That's the way I would encourage you to approach this. Okay. One more here. Jason says, 
a few months ago, I hit what I felt like was rock bottom professionally. So I worked with uh, one of your recommended coaches. They really helped me get going again. However, my wife is still stuck in the port. She hates boats and would prefer to never leave the couch and TV. Okay, what well, I skipped a sentence there that puts that in reference. I'm working on my, I'm about to shove off on my own journey of my newfound life. Then he says, however, my wife is still stuck in the port. She hates boats and would prefer to never leave the couch and TV. I've been trying to encourage her to start learning again. I've tried leading by example and encouraging her to zero avail. How do I motivate my wife to join me in lifelong learning when she is totally content to spend her free time wasting away with the TV? Thanks for the response. Well, this is one of those, Jason, and we'll kind of wrap up with this. This is where be the change you want to see in the world. And I don't say that just flippantly, but your wife is going to be much more inspired by your example. You're getting your ship out of the port and doing something significant. That'll be attractive to her to see somebody that she knows, loves and cares about, has seen a history with for over, over years to see you go do some, and that's going to be a better inspiration than saying, babe, you really need to read this book and change the, what you're doing and quit watching so much daggone TV. Yeah, that's going to be tough to do. I would encourage you just do that. I, I read and read a lot, as you can tell from listening to me, probably. I love reading. Joanne reads novels, which I think, frankly, are a waste of time. I don't understand why she does it. So do I badger her about reading all these wonderful self-help improvement books that I read? No, but inevitably in the course of a day, there's probably four or five times I say, wow, I was just reading this really cool thing. Let me read this to you. I read her what I consider a tidbit. And I mean, 80 times out of a of hundred, she says, oh my gosh, email that to me. You know, I need to share that with X, X and X. Ooh, photocopy that for me. I want to have that up in front of me in my computer. She values the things that I bring to her that I bring out of my own reading while at the same time, she has little desire to read those same book books from which that knowledge or insight came. Now that may seem counterintuitive, but that's okay. I love my wife and what she does and the things she's involved with and how she loves other people and inspires them. So I don't want to make her a clone of me. Be careful about doing that. You just be the lead. You take the lead. You're the guy in the family anyway. You wear the pants. You know, just get out here and do it. Just do it with such excellence that she'll be attracted. And if she never enjoys the same depth as you do and all of that, that's okay. You just continue doing it anyway. Well, we are running out of time. Hey, this is Dan Miller. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days community. If you want to get involved, go to 48days.net. See what 10,000 other excited people are doing to get their ideas off and running. Whatever you're doing, continue in this process of finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Doesn't have to be a choice. It can be both. Have a great week.